Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hey, what's going on? We have a very special guest today, Peter Demos. He's the president and CEO of Demos Brands and Demo Family Kitchen. It is a successful restaurateur, having founded six different Demos restaurant locations and 14 entities, including two PDK Southern Kitchen and pantry restaurants across Middle Tennessee. He returned to the hospitality industry after earning his law degree and is highly requested speaker on the topics of leading with courage and purpose. Peter, how are we doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Great, great. I'm, we're really excited to have you on the podcast. Just what's a restaurant tour? Uh, so you know, it, it, you know, that's what I've just always known. I'm fourth generation restaurant uh, restaurant operator. No one's ever really asked me that question and. Even kind of when we were talking right before you started recording, you said, is that restaurant entrepreneur? And I thought about it. I'm like, I bet you that's what that is. I just, I've never really thought of it, but I've always, you know, even on tax forms, you know, they're, you know, your profession is just restaurateur, you know, but, but mostly, so I'm going to assume that's where the word came from, but the, um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a restaurant owner and, and I would say we own restaurants, but if you're in the restaurant business, they more or less own you. So it's, it's a little, little different there. Absolutely. So fourth generation was this when you were a little kid, you were like, I'm going to go own a restaurant. I'm going to join the parents dynasty. We're going to keep it in the family. Well, you know, it started out. So my, so my father, um, so my grandfather came to this country um, and, um, and my great grandfather had a, had a separate restaurant than him. He had, and when he came here, he had a, uh, he started a restaurant with his brothers and through a series of different events, it ended up just being him uh, during World War II. So my father started working with him and uh, at nine years old. And they, they kind of went back and forth. And then my, my grandfather died in the 50s. And my father went into the theater business. So he managed motion picture theaters and then got back into the restaurant business with a Western Sizzling Steakhouse franchise. And uh, he brought that to Middle Tennessee. And, um, so I worked in there, so I was 12 years old. Um, and yeah, I kind of thought, you know, times, oh, like I want to do this. I want to do the, yeah, I want to be here, but you know, I also wanted to be a policeman and I wanted to be in, you know, you know, I wanted to be everything. So it wasn't like, uh, I guess that's still kind of the same way. I just kind of want to do everything and be everybody. But I, um, but from that, I, uh, at some point in time though, I made a decision that I wanted to be a lawyer. 
and didn't want to have anything to do with the restaurants. In fact, one of the things that I used to say is, is that I would never be in the restaurant business and I would never be married. And I've been in the restaurant <laughs> business and I've been married for 20, almost would be 22 years this, uh, this year. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, um, but, but what started that idea wanting to be a lawyer was, uh, I never got to miss school. That was never a thing. That was never an option for me. You had to have physical symptoms to, of sickness to miss school. And, but this one time I was able to miss cause my father thought it was important for me to come and see, he was a witness in a criminal case and, uh, where someone had defrauded, um, elderly people using restaurants. He was one of the restaurants. And so I got to go and during watch this trial. And for me, it was just fascinating. I mean, I was looking at it and watching how the arguments worked and I just fell in love with the, the idea and the concept of law. So I started reading about it and, and then even, even like all throughout college, I, I, I worked in, uh, worked in restaurants, uh, in law school, I worked in restaurants. And then when I practice law, I still work part-time in, in, in restaurants. So, so I still never kind of left the restaurant business, but my, my intent was, uh, to be a lawyer, which I did become, and I still keep my license up to date, but that, that just wasn't my passion. Yeah. So you go to law school, you get this law degree and then what do you do? Do you so go I, 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 yeah, I, I practice law for, for a firm, um, uh, for a firm. And I was, and, and there are things I love about law. I love, I love the research component of it. I love the argumentation of it. Um, I, I liked, um, I liked making the argument. I liked depositions and, and talking with people that that was the stuff that I enjoyed, but I absolutely hate paperwork. Like I, <laughs> and, and that's what lawyers do. They, they do a lot of paperwork. And so, I, but I was sitting at, at my desk and, and I had, um, our office was an old historic home. And so I had the, the, the worst place of, of it because I was the lowest guy on the totem pole and the, and the office next to me was the second lowest guy. And, and I was listening to a partner having a conversation with him. It wasn't a bad conversation. They were just discussing strategy and, and, and I was just like, I don't want to have that conversation in 10, 15 years. So like I said, there was nothing bad about the conversation. It just kind of made me realize it's not what I wanted. You know, so I called my dad and I said, hey, I, I want to go for a ride. Um, and that was always an indication we needed to talk because when we were in a car, neither one of us could escape. So if he was if, you know, it was just one of those ways that we could talk civilly was in the car. And so we, we got in the car and we drove for a while and I just said, Hey, how would you feel if I wanted to come back in the restaurant business? And what I didn't know was he was actually looking for someone to buy it. He was, he was getting to the age where he physically couldn't do the job anymore. And he was trying to get someone to buy it, buy the business. Um, and since, uh, since I wasn't interested and my sister wasn't interested in running it, he was going to do it. Well, when I came back and told him that he of course pulled everything back and, uh, I took over the operations and then later purchased it uh, from him um, uh, a few years after that. So, so that's kind of how I got back into the business there. Oh, that's incredible. That, that always seems to happen where people look down the path and they go, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, my, my, my criminal law professor was, was, the, was the chief prosecutor in the, 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 the My Lai cases in Vietnam. And one of the things he said, he said, if you don't change your profession several times, he said, you're, he said, you're probably going to end up being really unhappy. He's like, he, he, he used to advocate people change their profession. I don't know if I agree with that. Cause I know a lot of people who are happy who stayed in the same spot, but I'm, um, 
but I'm not that kind of person. Like I, said, I have to do things. That's why. That's why I, I, I. That's why I write. I write articles. I write books. You know. That's why I do different other businesses outside of restaurants. But restaurants is just the main business, and it's the main one there. But I, I got to keep going. My brain doesn't shut off. I, I think that's the best way to go about it because it's tough because we'll go down this one path and you see these people who have been in the same role for so many years and it's just a big comfort, honestly. Yeah. Getting uncomfortable is really important and that's something that you do really well. So with the oh, rest... So I say really well. I'm just comfortable in making making everybody else around me uncomfortable. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so Peter, tell us, so you get into the restaurant business and now are you owning them? Or are you, it's you and your dad doing it together? And then, no, no, like I said, we, we, so I ran the operations, I ran the operations for a while. So I got back in the business in, in 1999. And then in 2001, I took over all the operations while he, he said he semi-retired. He, um, yeah, he worked when he wanted to, he didn't work when he didn't. And, um, you know, he was there more as a, as a, as a counselor and advisor than anything else. Um, and so that was in 2001 and 2009, uh, my sister and I bought the restaurant business from him. And so we, when we purchased it from him, now my sister's not in the business itself. Um, she's just on our, she's on our board. Um, yeah. But but she uh, but when we purchased it and we just and that's kind of where we went from there. So, but you know again he you know he's still he turns eighty seven today. Today's his birthday. He turned eighty seven oh, wow. today. Yeah, and he yeah and he'll walk. You know he'll, he'll he'll still go in to eat and he'll walk around a little bit and yeah. But but most of what he does um, yeah most of what he does now is eat and then he kind of travels and does things on his own and so he he um yeah, he just kind of en- enjoys enjoys life without having to worry if the dishwasher showed up or not yeah yeah that's definitely a good place to be so with when you took over in 2009 how many restaurants did you have and then how many are you at today well so we when i took well I took over actually in 2001 we only had two we had two locations um oh, wow. and then built um uh, built a third one, um, and it opened in December of 2001. Um, and then, uh, and, and then we opened up, uh, another one in Hendersonville in 2005. And then from there, we had opened up a couple others that, that, that didn't make it The crash in 08, um, killed it. Um, and so we, uh, someone came along, offered to buy the building from us and we were very happy to, um, to, 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 to let that one go. Um, it was really far away. It was something that we were just kind of trying to see if we would work from a distance without us kind of being involved and trying to figure it out from there. Um, but also in 05, um, I took over another concept called Toots um, that was a franchisee, uh, a franchisor company, and they franchised several of them around, and we ran that for a while, and then we sold that off. And then uh, but wait, 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 one quick, yeah. one, one sure. sec with toots. Cause I remember we were talking about it beforehand. Don't you have a story about when you went to Clearwater? Yeah. With- yeah, that's exactly right. So, so my father, my, my father had a business partner who lived in Clearwater, Florida. And, um, he, um, uh, the, the, the partner called him and said, Hey, there's this restaurant out here that I think would go really good in, in middle Tennessee, uh, named, named Hooters. And it was this brand new restaurant that no one had heard of, et cetera. So my father went down and, um, 
and he took me with him. He went on m multiple trips, but he took me with him on one. I was probably 12 years old at the time. And we would, we were there for like three days, you know, when Hooters first opened at 11 all the way up to close is where he's trying to learn and, and gather information and do that stuff. I don't know if it was the best father decision he ever made, you know, putting me around a bunch of girls that were, that were, uh, Hooters was uniquely different than as well. And, um, and so, but anyway, he came back and he started the concept. It's actually called Tutors, um, yes. and then then was sued by Hooters, and they had changed the name to Toots. And so, um, and then in like I said, 2005, I took over uh, the, the the franchising company as well as one of the the, the corporate stores, and then uh, and and then from there we sold sold it all off in 2006. Gotcha, gotcha. So then, where are you at? today and what allows so, so so yeah i'd opened up a, a even another restaurant called peter d's and 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 it was a going to be an upscale casual restaurant and we uh matter of fact the, the book I, i've written called afraid to trust what afraid to trust deals with it deals with my, my my journey toward faith and and what happened how i came from hating christians to to becoming one but then it dealt with with with, with peter d's because peter d's was a was a miserable failure from beginning to end. It lasted for about five years, which how it was God's grace. It only allowed it to last that long. And through his faithfulness, someone came along and leased the building from us. So we actually now are leasing that building. So we still own the real estate on it and, and go from there. But, but that, but the, 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 the book is also about like how to learn to apply the, the Bible through pra uh, practical ways when you're dealing with failure. And learning yeah. how to to no longer kind of be afraid during those times, because because that's the thing. When you're an entrepreneur, you fail a lot. You know, most yeah. entrepreneurs I know they're going to fail. You look at like Donald Trump had to file bankruptcy. I mean, you know, that's probably one of the most well-known entrepreneurs out there. You know, we 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 fail because we try things, and we all have kind of a coach's mentality of I can do it all, and the reality <laughs> is is we can't. Um, and then you know when we get punched and knocked down, you know we. we we think, oh, well, we're, we're, this is terrible. We're awful. And then we're like, oh, look, I could do that one. And then we run ahead and try to do something else. And so, I mean, that's kind of what we do. And so, so for, we did Peter D's. But what was cool about Peter D's was, was as we tried to expand it, as we tried to expand Demas's, everything kept not working. Like it was like, you know, we would have a contract. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, nope, you're not going to do it. And I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, you know, you need to ask God what's going on. He said, take some time, go away. So I did. I went and this is days. this is in the middle of your failing oh, your restaurant yeah. opened up. It's yeah. just a demise. It was, your just, it was, yeah, it was weird stuff. I mean, it was just odd, weird stuff that just would normally never happen. It just kept something just odd kept stepping in the path. Yeah. And so so we um, you know, we 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 were negotiating a lease for a place, for example. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden they just, they, they disappeared. Like we couldn't call us back, couldn't call us back. And then next thing I know, there's a for lease and we still can't get them to call back. The place is still for lease. It's been for lease for three years that we, we were Weird. very interested, but I mean, it was things like that. Like I couldn't get them to do anything. It just, just like I said, they just disappeared. Yes. Yeah. So I went to, um, so I drove about three hours away up into the mountains in East Tennessee and just stayed there for a few days and just, you know, and just prayed. And from there, you know, I, I, I got the idea and the concept of PDK, Southern Kitchen and Pantry. And it was basically a fast casual. So where restaurants was, most restaurants that were operated was full service. You go, 
you know, you, you, you order your food, you get your food, then you pay at the end of the meal. Fast casual is you go to a counter, you pay, and then we bring the meal to you. And so we, we decided we were going to, going to start on, start, start that. And we were able to use recipes from Peter D's that we're able to kind of pull over into it. And so unlike most fast casuals that focus on one item like burgers or burritos, we, we have an eclectic menu. We have Southern menu. So we'll have shrimp and grits. We have salmon. We have, um, it's fresh cut there. You get to watch us cut it. There's salads, there's chicken tenders, there's chicken and waffles. Um, so we have all these different burgers. We have all these different food items and our check average is between six and eight minutes to get out. Um, so yeah, so we, we're very good at time and efficiency. And so we decided to apply it there. So we have two of those. Now we have a third one that's under construction, um, as well, also in the middle Tennessee area. And so, but the other thing piece of it is, is it's also a gift shop that's attached to it as well. So we have different odds and ends. So it's things that I personally would never buy, but my wife loves the stuff that we would. So it's like, like a tea towel or candles or bath bomb, you know, it's stuff of that nature, but a lot of the items we have go to support local nonprofits. So like oh, we have goodness. like dog biscuits that are, um, that are made by a woman that has downs and, uh, and a lot of the proceeds go to support down society. We, we support thistle farms is one of our biggest sellers that, that goes to help stop sex trafficking. And so we, we try to partner with those, not all the items, but we try to partner with a lot of items that are, that, that, that go and help other people in the community as well. So it's purpose-driven restaurant and when yeah. most people aren't doing that. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the thing too. There's there's two types of purpose-driven. There's purpose-driven that, that that where the purpose is the result. And in this particular situation, that's a big part of it. You know, with our gifts, we, we do that. We, we will, um, yeah, Martin Luther King Day, for example, you know, we, uh, we, we collected donations and we gave a certain percentage ourselves to the King Center in Atlanta. You know, so we, you know, whatever this, the, the, we, we, we will do things with that, with the result. But for me, purpose, it goes beyond the, the result. That's usually a mission. That's usually yeah. the end result. A purpose is the motivating force that drives you. Like, why do you do what we do? And so, whereas before I was a Christian, we just did it because it was good business. We were doing it because we, we you know, I mean, that was what we did. Yeah. And then when I became a Christian, the, the day that I became one, I said, you know, God, you win. I turn everything over to you. And that was kind of how I ended up doing that. Well, that meant I had to turn my business over to him. So and this was after our, the three days? This was um, after no, three this days? No, this was actually, this was actually, this was even a few years before that. This oh, was wow. a, okay. I, I had a, um, I had a, a big wrestling match with God. And actually, interesting enough, that was about three days, too. I slept four hours in those three-day period. Oh, my God. Um, just, just, yeah, fighting, just fighting, not not wanting to be a Christian, but wanting to be one, not knowing what it was like. I mean, it was, you know, what do I have to do? What boxes do I have to check off to become? I mean, it was weird. It was just a, but it was a great, amazing experience. And when I, when I did that, I said, God, I'm turning the whole business over to you. Then it was like, okay, again, how? So part of it was, is we created a purpose statement. And our purpose statement is, is we're to glorify God by serving others, which is to serve and care for our customers and serve and care for our employees. And then we, then later we added va- some values to it. And later we added a vision to it. So, so we have a purpose of where we're going, which is our vision statement. And we have a purpose of why we do it, which is our purpose statement. And that's the things that's where we're trying to, to reach and achieve from there. Wow. And this was you were just by yourself for those three days. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so I was the past president of the Tennessee Hospitality Association. And I had gone to a, my wife had forced me to go to church to listen to a man named Angus Buchan to speak. And Angus Buchan is a South African evangelist. There's a movie about him called Faith Like Potatoes. And, and um, Angus did an altar call and, and I went up at that time, but I, that bothered me. I didn't like it. I'm like, I don't, I, I felt like I was being conned and I like something is wrong. And then through a series of events, um, I ended up in, with a meet and greet in front of him. And he asked the question, he said, if you're willing to die for your country, why are you afraid to speak out for God? And no one's ever accused me of being afraid before. That was something that I've always been a fighter. And yeah. And so I had to leave there and go to Memphis for a board meeting. And so I drove the drove to Memphis for, for this three-day board meeting for the Hospitality Association. So when I wasn't in a meeting, I was back in my hotel room. Like, I mean, I, you know, ordered room service. I couldn't even go out. Like any of the social events, I'm like, I can't. Yeah. I'm too busy trying to figure out what's going on in my life. And so, and so yeah, it was over that period of time is, is when I finally... My wife, my wife said it was really weird. She said, I kept getting all these text messages from you. She said it was really weird. She said, I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> you're sta- I don't even you're remember sending doing it. <laughs> you're sending her all your thoughts. You're like, I think this might be for me. And she's like, what is for me? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it'd be like, I was like really loving to her and, you know, it just like, you're just telling her how much she means to me and all this other stuff. And then she's like, okay, something's, something's really wrong. Like she. <laughs> You know, she thought something was wrong, and then when I came home and told her that I wanted to get baptized, she was she was like completely shocked. Um, yeah, and, um, that's kind of that's kind of where that went from there. Yeah, but I mean, I want to bring up the point that it's super impactful that one person's comment can change someone's life, and it can really resonate with people. So you have to be very careful about what you say about different people because that can be used for negative or positive. So that, 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 that's, yeah. And, and I, and I'm a big believer in questions. I, I think questions mean more than statements because I can ask a question and, and, you know, and make you come up with the answer, make you come up with your own why, your own purpose based off of those questions. And so when he asked that question, I was like, wait a second, why is that? Why am I afraid? Cause then he, not only did he, he accused me of being afraid without accusing me of being afraid. There was no accusation. Yeah. It was a question, you know, yeah, and cool. And I was like, wait a second, logically, he's right. But no, wait a second, he can't be because I'm not afraid. You know, and I mean, it was kind of going back and forth. And so at the end, it was that was a big part of what I wanted to. And that's how kind of how I look at things. I ask questions. So, for example, whenever I'm afraid of something now and I recognize that fear, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my business or I'm afraid, you know, my son's about to go off for college. I'm kind of, you know, a little worried about that. And, you know, and, and I'm, and I write down on a, you know, write down on a note card or a piece of paper and I'll write, I'm afraid of whatever it is. I'm afraid I might lose my business. And then I ask the, I go back and I change, I ask the question, God, why don't I trust you to take care of my business? And so I change the question so that I have to kind of deal with it and and answer that question. When I can start answering questions um, is when I can start being honest. And when you're honest with yourself and you're honest with him, that's when you could start really seeing true transformation and change and everything. But you, it starts with the honesty. We're all so consumed with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter on how I look and how I am. We don't want to talk about the failures we had. We don't want to talk about, you know, that, you know, look, look, here's this great picture of my wife and two kids dressed up, you know, dressed up as, or we're going on a beach trip and, and all this other stuff. But we don't want to talk about the fact that we don't talk the whole time while we're on, <laughs> on that trip, you know. And so, so you got to be honest. And when you're honest about it is when true healing and restoration can begin. 
Peter, that is incredible. The thing I really enjoyed was the vulnerability aspect. And then the questions, because you're 100% right. We don't focus on vulnerability at all. Everyone wants to be so stoic and they want to be like, I'm invincible. I have no issues. I have no problems. All right. Then you're sitting at home and you're depressed and you're struggling and you're wondering why, because you don't ask for help. And I like that you come to the point of, I can ask God for help or I can ask myself for help or I, if I change the question, because it's really interesting when you talk about that, because it's like, hey, you wake up in the morning, oh, I have to do this, this sucks. Or like, why do I have to work today? Or it can be like, wow, how can I make this day the best day ever? And that, your brain's going to start running. Okay, right. um, when you're working, why don't you walk, go on a walk, get, get some fresh air, or why don't you work from the pool, or why don't you do this, or why don't you roll, like, there's just slight variations of doing the things and you're much happier. <laughs> right. No, so. you're absolutely right. You know, and, and just by, by, by looking at, and you, you made a really good point because by looking at the future tense, if you notice in language, whenever, especially when there's an argument, when people are arguing or discussing something and they're using past tense, it usually involves blame. If it's present tense, it usually involves an issue of morality and, you know, should or right or wrong future tense involves you know trying to find a solution so a lot of times when you're engaged in that argument you can you shift the question from a past tense of why did you do that to the future tense of how can we fix that you know going forward what will we do and when you change that all of a sudden the argument can de-escalate and i'm a big believer in arguments i'm greek we, we fight and yell and scream i mean i'm a big believer in arguments and and i think it's important and i think it's critical for any relationship whether it's father, child, you know, husband, wife, you know, boss, employee, I think it's important to have arguments and disagreements. But I think, you know, but but don't get consumed with the the why things happen, have an argument about how you're going to solve it. And by, by shifting that, and sometimes when you just shift that question, the argument just immediately just kind of like goes away, as you start kind of trying to figure out how to solve the problem. And, and you may not come to an answer, but it but it boy, it does make it a lot easier, because now all of a sudden, you're working toward this common goal as opposed to fighting each other over the problem that the reason why it happened. Yeah, that is so powerful. I just sat there and was just taking it all in because it's true. When you go, oh, you did that. All right, what am I going to do back? Like tell you what you did wrong? Like that doesn't make anyone feel good. How can we be better for next time? All right, we realized that there was a mistake. What are we going to do to improve? I... That's incredible. I, I want to transition real quick to with COVID and everything going on there, you have multiple restaurants. How did you handle that situation? The dynamics, the chaos, the this, you're allowed to wear a mask here. You can't wear a mask here. This is it. This is right. So many lines to teeter <laughs> on. <laughs> you know, it, it was funny. Um, yeah, you know what, what's what's funny is is that also when you're in a position of being in charge, you do have to project confidence that's going on, but at the same time, again, like I said, I don't mind being vulnerable. So there were times where we we had meetings where I broke down crying to my to my team, you know, and because it's just like it just was overwhelming. It was there was too much with too much speed that it came. You know, the force of which it came, the speed of which it came was what was so off. So where I 
you know, survived, you know, the, the crash in, in, you know, 08, 09, you know, um, back before that, 04, before that, after September 11th, you know, when we, when we dealt with all, we dealt with all those issues, we got to see the, it was a slow roll coming. And I, and I thought the same thing was going to happen here. I saw what was happening in China. It came to the United States in little bitty doses. And I even remember writing in my journal, you know, we're going to have to deal with it. We had a general manager's meeting on a Thursday. And I, and I said, okay, you know, told him, I said, guys, this is what's going to happen. I said, there's a possibility we might have to close for a week or two, you know, and I said, but I don't know. I said, so just kind of be prepared. We're going to, we're going to kind of deal with it in that area. And once we did that, you know, and then, then that was on a Thursday on Saturday, I, I contacted my IT guy and said, I think we're going to not have any dine-in like soon, get some curbside, figure out how to get curbside going and, and, you know, and trying to kind of do that there. And then on Saturdays, when they announced that, you know, the major league soccer was, was killed, the, the you know, NCAA tournaments was, was done, you know, they, all this other stuff that was going away. Um, and I remember writing in my journal, hang on, it's about to be a bumpy ride. And then I didn't realize the speed. So by Tuesday, I was actually calling a bankruptcy attorney saying, okay, look, I think I'm going to be okay, but just in case, I don't want to screw up. I want to learn on the front end if I had to file bankruptcy, it's the yeah. best way to do it. Um, and, um, you know, so, I mean, literally we go from Thursday where I say maybe in a couple of months to less than, <laughs> less than a week later, I'm calling a bankruptcy attorney. It happened that quick. And, you know, and I had, I had, you know, checks we, we, we paid on at that time we paid on 30 day net and I had, you know, so I had, we had checks that were, were due when we were had, you know, a hundred percent of sales that were trying to be paid with cash of, you know, uh, of 40, 50% sales. And I mean, I had a, my current liability shortfall was almost a half a million dollars. Yeah. And, and so it was like, okay, so what do I do here? So I'm trying to kind of work that out. But again, God, God, God set up little plans along the way. You know, we had a, a our IT guy, you know, came from our point of sales uh, system. He used to work for me as a manager. He came back. He did an amazing job throughout this process. An area supervisor had a delivery business um, before that before he came to work for us. So he was able to help institute delivery and curbside and kind of teach people how to do that. Um, and so we just kind of started seeing these little things that that that, that took place. And and at the end of the day, you know, all we did was just do one step at a time and just be thankful for everything we had. So whenever those fears come and take over, and you start like you're getting overwhelmed and like, what do I do? How do I handle it? We have two rules that we have when you get overwhelmed in, in the in, in the restaurant. You get, we used to have tickets. Now it's all electronic, but it used to be tickets. And you would all the tickets would wrap the wheels and they were all on the wall. And we would say you can only do one ticket at a time. And that's it. We just stop one ticket at a time. We pull that one ticket. We work it. Then we work the next ticket. We just do one ticket at a time until we got through it. And that's kind of that process. But the second piece was the emotional side of it. And, you know, it's again of, is everything going to fail? You know, what am I going to do? I just bought a new home. You know, I mean, whatever, you know, all that stuff that's happening. And, you know, am I going to be able to pay my kids college that I had planned on? You know, everything you planned just was realized that all that may be useless. And so when that happens, again, I, I sit down, I, I take a sheet of paper and I write down everything that's positive that happens and things that I'm thankful for. And then I just pray to God and I just thank him for each of those things. And sometimes you can't come up with anything. I mean, sometimes you're just so overwhelmed and consumed. So for me, there's an easy starting point, which is 
I'm thankful I live in a community that has grocery stores everywhere. I mean, there's places all over the world that don't have grocery stores. I can easily access grocery stores, multiple grocery stores. In that grocery store, they have aisles dedicated to cookies. I mean, you know, I mean, you could be thankful for something like that. And, and as you start kind of doing it, you're, you get a momentum of thankfulness. And, and as, as the Bible tells us, he says, when you start being thankful, there will be a peace that will come that's beyond recognition. And it's true. When I start thanking him for it and realizing, you start realizing, you know, I can't control COVID. You know, so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do the best that I possibly can do. But where I end up is where he wants me to be. It may not be where I thought I was going to be. It may not be where I want to be. But it's where he wants me to be. And that's where he's going to have me in the best possible position for him. And once you start kind of acknowledging that and recognizing that it's not about me, it's not about my comfort, it's not about my lifestyle, then all of a sudden you start kind of being like, okay, that's cool. I'm just going to keep moving forward and see what happens. I can't thwart his plans. I can't outsmart him. If he wants my restaurant to close, I can't do anything about it. If, you know, if no matter, no amount of government money can, can, can stop him, stop him from closing the restaurant on the flip side of it, if he wants it open, he's going to allow it to be open. He may not need me to do it. He may have somebody else do it. So if I decide to sit back in my lazy, you know, lazy chair and say, I'm not going to do anything, he'll be like, that's fine. You're not, but I still want the restaurant to open. So I'm going to have this guy run it. You know, I mean, he can do whatever he wants to do with it. And that's the part that's amazing. So for me, it's just a partnership. You know, when I work with him on it, it is like, a, it's like if I saw a piece of wood, you know, did the saw saw the wood or did I saw the wood? It's really yeah. both did it, you know? And so that's kind of the way that works as a partnership on it. I'm just the, I'm just the tool on the saw that, that he's using. So it's not like he's doing it all without me controlling it and nor at the same time the, the other way around. So it just, and that's kind of how it works. And that's how we got through it. But there's a lot of crazy people out there. You know, I've known it. I've been in the restaurant business forever. And, but when you start seeing it, when there, when there is an overabundance of fear, I mean, I had someone call the police on me because I shook their hand for assault. Seriously, the police came and investigated. Oh and, you know, and, you know, they were laughing by the time, particularly when I'm like, I'll show you the video. And they're like, no, we don't need to see the video. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, um, and then on the, the same week, I had the, the, the head of a parole board um, come and chew me out because I was following the law of making my employees wear masks. You know, and now that things are coming out, I got, you know, two of my locations, uh, the customers don't have to wear mask, the employees do. And then, you know, and then, then other locations, I'm sorry, three of my locations, that's the case, and then other locations, they do have to wear mask. And so trying to kind of create policies and changes and do that stuff and communicate it, and just that, that becomes difficult. So when that happens, it's just one ticket at a time and see where we go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely difficult with juggling so many different restaurants and different dynamics. Um, so in your book, Afraid to Trust, um, what was, what did, when did you write that? And then what was really the purpose of it? And yeah. Yeah. So I wrote it a few years back, um, probably about two years ago. And the purpose of it was, was, um, I, I would speak to some business groups, not very much, um, but I would do it from time to time. I've always enjoyed speaking in front of groups. I'm, I'm not a, 
uh, you put me in a social event where I got to talk to somebody one-on-one. I'm like you know, the, the guy in the corner that no one's like, everyone's looking at him like, why is he staring at me? Um, I just become extremely shy, but you put me in front of a thousand people and I'm like, that's like, that's my element. Like I'm okay with that. And, but I, but it wasn't very much. And then people started when they, people started um, inviting me to speak and give my testimony. And then I would start doing that. And then what I, every time afterward, people come up and say, Hey, you need to tell that story. You need to t- do this. And yeah. so finally, you know, I, finally I, I started, I thought, okay, I'm going to get it in writing. And it took a while for me to write it. I hired a ghostwriter. I'm a better speaker than writer. Um, yeah. so I hired a ghostwriter to help. So I kind of type out my thoughts or talk to them and, and then they type it out. We go back and forth yeah. and chapter one's done. And, you know, we kind of yeah. keep going through that process. And so, um, but, but then we had to kind of progress it from there. And, you know, it, it, was, it was very personal. Um, my wife has a chapter in the book um, kind of talking about her, um, uh, you know, the, the, the issues that she had when I became a Christian. And she's a lifelong Christian. Um, but all of a sudden she moved from first in my life to second. And oh. so that, yeah, that was hard for her. And, and so she had to kind of learn how to learn how to, to do that. And she was the spiritual leader of the household. And then all of a sudden I became the spiritual leader of the household and that was hard. And so we had to kind of learn that, that piece. So we, so, so the purpose of it really was to kind of give people hope and encouragement and let them through a narrative format, learn a practical way of doing things. Now I'm in the process of writing my second book, which, um, I got about a chapter and a half left. I've got one last draft on the, the next to last chapter and then one more chapter after that. And then I'll go off to an editor, et cetera. And, and that book is on, uh, on Christian civil disobedience. And so what I'm trying to, to do there is to say, okay, as we saw through 2020, and we saw a lot of the tax on church and a lot of tax on Christian businesses, how are we supposed to respond? You know, we're not supposed to respond in, in violence and protests. We're not supposed to respond the way that they did on January the 6th or the way they did in, in Minnesota. You know, we're not supposed to respond you know, uh, in, in, a, in those type of fashions because we're still supposed to be ambassadors to Christ. But we still cannot follow an unjust law. And yeah. so we have to find that balance. And so that's what I'm trying to write is to kind of as a tool to kind of help people understand what to do so that we can be prepared and be intentional going forward. Wow. It's powerful stuff. So I told you, like I said, my brain goes all the time. All different directions. Well, Peter, I really appreciated uh, you coming on today. It's definitely been awesome. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that... We'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.